On this episode of Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk, Rick and Stephen discuss the most haunted restaurant in the world, the Brentwood Restaurant, aka the Brentwood Wine Bistro, and Rick brings you the Manchester Airport in England on this week's Ghost Watch. All of that and so much more, right now on Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk. And welcome to another edition of the Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk. We are your hosts, Rick Hale and Stephen Lancaster, both authors of The Paranormal, both veteran ghost hunters. And Stephen, welcome. Thank you for welcoming to uh, your own own show. show. That's fantastic. I feel really no, no, it's like welcome to a new year. It is. Yes. January 2nd, 2022. The first show of the new year. That's right. And it's a good show for the new for, for the first show of the new year. Stephen, why don't you tell them about it? Yes, it's the new show of the new year. Rick's here. I'm here. And yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to be talking about the very haunted Brentwood Wine Bistro, also known as the Brentwood Restaurant, also known as the Brentwood Restaurant and Wine Bistro, also known as, and most importantly, Rick, the most haunted restaurant on the planet. Yes. That's a pretty big buildup. Yeah, you know, a couple of questions. First off, my wife wants to know, is the food good? Yes, absolutely. It is. Okay. Master Are Chef. Are and hauntings good? Yes, absolutely. Which you know, because you and I have known each other for a long time. And anybody yes. who's who's followed me as a paranormal investigator kind of knows the Brentwood has been my baby. It is the location that I have researched the most out of everything that I've ever researched. I mean, we're going on 15 years of research of that location. You know, and this goes right. back to what you and I have talked about many times before that you can't come to any kind of conclusion in one night. Well, here we are 15 years with this location. And as far as the food's concerned, you know, Chef Eric Masson is from France. That's mm-hmm. where he went to school, culinary school. He um, he came over to the States in New York. That's where he met Kim. They were working for a restaurant in New York. And then decided to move south. You know, he, he it was a dream of his to own his own restaurant. And the food is just literally, no pun intended, to die for. You know, but what, what I don't want this episode to turn into is a commercial for the Brentwood Wine Bistro. Because it, it, it's, a, it's a fine line out there. You have all of these um, business locations claiming they're haunted to generate revenue. And, I, right. and I, I can sincerely say from the heart that that is not the case for the Brentwood because they have turned down. I'm not going to mention any names, but they have turned down some big names in the paranormal, the mm-hmm. TV shows. Um, sure. So it's not about the money for them. It's about the truth. And, and I admire that, man. Yeah, you know, I'm generally very skeptical when it comes to any restaurant or any hotel or any bed and breakfast that claims to be haunted. And anybody can make up a story of, you know, of a, of a ghost, you know, unrequited love or a suicide or multiple deaths in the the building or whatever. 
and you know jack up the prices on rooms and jack up the prices on their food but you know this place is a hell of a lot different it's the real deal and we're going to find out more of that later on right yes absolutely you know because as as you know an episode of a haunting they just launched their new mm-hmm. season season 11 and mm-hmm. uh it was called bottled spirits and that was about the brentwood this just aired this past friday night um New Year's Eve, as a matter of fact. And like any of these shows, it only scratched the surface. And I see it a lot because, and you probably do too, because we're so active in in the social media world, YouTube and Facebook and all this stuff, where you have two two different um, viewers. You have the viewers that are watching A Haunting to be entertained. They saw the episode on the Brentwood. That's all they think ever happened. That's the haunting of Brentwood. But you know as well as I do, there is a ton of substance to this place. Multiple books, multiple documentaries. It's been on TV multiple times. There is a lot. And that's something I want to cover tonight so people don't think that episode is the story because it's not. Right. So, you know what, here's now this is this is what I want to do with this. I want to interview you concerning this so you're basically not only are you the co-host but you're also today's guest i need to talk to my publicist <laughs> i would exactly. have turned this shit down i'd have been like rick who i, I don't do that <laughs> shit yeah so definitely i mean I, I i i think that when it comes to this it's like we can you know watch uh, my ghost story where it was on one of the episodes and people can also see it, you know, detailed a little bit more in Phantom, the haunting of Brentwood uh, wine bistro, which was great. And, but, and of course a haunting, but it's like, I really want to get into the, the, if you'll pardon the pun, the meat and potatoes of this through the man who lived it and experienced it. Hey, well, that sounds like fun. And, and we've also got a brand new ghost watch. That is correct. Why don't you tell people a little bit about that? Yeah, we're going to take uh, a flight, as it is, across the pond over to Manchester, England's haunted Manchester International Airport. Um, I, I arguably, from every and all the stuff that I've researched and actually spoken to people that live nearby, this is quite possibly the most haunted airport in the world. Awesome. Now, I have heard nothing about this. When you sent it to me, I was like, okay, this is one of the few things that you've sent me that, you know, occasionally you do stump me with a ghost watch, and I've never heard mm-hmm. of it. But this I had never heard, so this is going to be all new to me as well. So I'm excited. Yeah, this was a, this was originally ri- uh, an article written by myself for uh, SpookyIsles.com, which is kind of like your last stop and best stop for everything, you know, that pertaining to haunted places in Ireland and the United Kingdom. Um, So, yeah, you know, if you ever get a chance, go over to SpookyIsles.com. It's run by a really great guy named David Saunderson. And um, you can read articles by myself and other articles by, you know, brilliant writers, uh, people that live there, people that don't live there, like myself. But a lot of great ghost stories that can be read over at SpookyIsles.com. Awesome. Well, with that being said, look, we, we've laid the show out for our 
um, just wickedly awesome fans that you refer to as the shadows. The shadows. So we've got, we're going to be talking the most, what I have dubbed, because I'm the king of dubbing things. Um, like the gray fox of the paranormal, sexiest paranormal guest, uh, ghost hunter alive, you know. Self-proclaimed. Right. So, um, anyways, we're going to talk about the Brentwood Wine Bistro. There is a lot of information out there. Um, later in the show, we'll tell you where to go check it out. Um, so you can hear everything we're going, or I'm sorry, actually watch everything we're going to be discussing. Um, for those of you who don't wish to read books. <laughs> oh. I, I can't. Oh my god! People that don't like reading, that not not only is that insulting as a writer and an author, but my god, people, there is nothing like picking up a book and reading it. Nothing ki- has killed me more than the whole Norman the Doll thing, man. You have no idea because there are two books out there on the research of Norman the Doll, but mm-hmm. all everybody's going by is the forty-three minute episode on a haunting. Which oh, so much which more. was like twenty five percent of what has actually happened with that thing. Right. Kills me. But let's take a quick break, guys. You are listening to Rick Hale, Stephen Lancaster here on Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk. We will be right back. Hey my friends, check out my good friend Chris Beck and his work at All Around Art. From lifelike paintings to detailed sketches to phenomenal tattoo artistry, if you can dream it, Chris can bring it to life on canvas or your skin. His art has been showcased in published works such as the paranormal best-selling book Norman 2, The True Story of a Possessed Doll's Revenge. Visit him online at facebook.com slash allaround.art.com. We now return to Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk with your hosts, Rick Hale and Stephen Lancaster. And welcome back to the Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk with your host, Stephen Lancaster, and myself, Rick Hale. So, Stephen, you know, we've already we've already set the stage for what it is that we're going to be talking about for the most part. And that is the Brentwood Wine Bistro. Um, you know, like I, like, like I said, I watched uh, the My Ghost Story. I watched... The a haunting episode. I watched it with my family, and it was just amazing how they got you know, um, like, is that is that your hat that the actor is wearing? You know, it kind of looks like Michael Chiklis. So I'm kind of wondering how they get Michael Chiklis to portray you on the show. Well, you know, that's really funny. I, I actually <laughs> thought I actually thought they were going to get the same guy that they got to play me in Norman the Doll because they got the same woman for my wife. Yeah, I saw that. So I thought, okay, but instead I get like some mafia boss. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He does kind of look like that. Like he's like he's like he's gonna come. He's like, all right, ghosts, I'm gonna make you an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> yeah. It's like holy crap. <laughs> it, they, yeah, it, it's funny. The 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 actor walked in the door and I was I just started laughing. I'm like, oh my god, it's Michael Chiklis. <laughs> all my wife and I were rolling the, the whole commish. time. So anyway, no, but but in all seriousness, now this place is your, I, I guess you know, for lack of a better term, most famous haunt. Yes, it is. I call it the holy grail of the paranormal because literally, I could almost one hundred percent guarantee you, Rick, if I mm-hmm. flew you out here for this coming weekend 
and said, I'm taking you to the Brentwood. You will experience something. You would experience something. I mean, the place I've never been in a location like that, that where you can almost guarantee it. And the, and the funny thing is, um, I almost said no. I almost really? said no. This, this was back in 2007. And I had just finished investigating Pugin's Porch Restaurant in Charleston, South Carolina. And the main reason I took that case is because the Travel Channel, ironically, um, was boasting it as the third most haunted location, a restaurant in the country. And Pugin's really ran with it. They had a news crew follow us the whole night. They aired some of it live on the news. They were really really pushing it and to me that just said dollar signs well short yeah. shortly after that investigation i get an email from kim masson about the brentwood and, and you know part of what you saw in a haunting that that part's true the stuff that they were experiencing and seeking out help well at that yeah. time back in 2007 i was kind of the name in that area so to speak you know what i'm saying like the sure. the person who told it was a little portrayed a little bit differently in the show, but the person who actually told her what was going on there um, was one of the previous owners. And she had went to a garage sale of this lady and Kim just flat out asked this lady, have you ever experienced anything strange in that? And then she laid it all out to Kim. Okay. Now okay. that's, that's the part that, ultimately led me to taking the case is because Kim and Eric experienced all of this stuff with no prior mm -hmm. knowledge of it. It wasn't until okay. the former owner told them, and I'm like, okay, this, there may be something to this. Right. So I do have a question though, because it, it in, in a haunting, it kind of shows uh, chef Masson as being skeptical and kind of doubting what his wife is telling him. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, he's probably the most down to earth. He's always look. He's a very logical guy. He's always mm -hmm. looking for the logical reason. And it wasn't until I really think what did it in for him to at least seek out outs an outside opinion was him getting locked in that bathroom and hearing the female sigh. And then the same exact thing happened to Kim, and they hadn't talked to each other about it. And then when they right. finally come to terms with it and tell each other. I think that got Eric's wheels turning like, okay, Kim, you're right. She wanted to bring somebody in. He agreed to it. And it kind of went from there as far as bringing me in. But like I said, at first I'm like, ah, oh, another restaurant. It's just somebody trying to monetize this thing, you know, bring in. Cause you know, if you say your sure. place is haunted, it brings them in, man. They come running. And, oh, and, absolutely. Especially you know, with a restaurant or a hotel or anything like that. Like I said before, you could just jack up the price and say, this is where the ghost is haunting. Have fun in the room. Anybody can do that. But but something told me to do it. And I went and I met with Kim, not like you see in the show. Um, what what the show did, I'll just flat out say, is they took 15 years worth of research and made it seem like it happened in one night. There, mm -hmm. there, there was so much. Like if you watch my ghost story, you see the evidence showcase there. If you watch the a haunting, you see different evidence showcased. If you watch Phantom, the haunting of uh, Brentwood Wine Bistro on Amazon or free on YouTube, um, 
you see it all. You, well, up up until that point, you see ten years worth of stuff. So it's like sure. wh- whichever angle these shows want to work. So it's it's, anyways. So I met with her, explained to her. She was very curious. This was a first for her. You know, she's never had a paranormal investigator. Didn't know if it was like it was on TV. And I explained right. to her how it was going to work. I was going to bring a small crew, um, which was Kevin McRae and Brad Hayes. And it was about this time. It was late January of 2007. And it actually snowed that night in South Carolina, which was really interesting to be in this place, investigating it for the first time and look out the window and see snow. Um, Mm -hmm. Magical. But um, I I explained it to her and, you know, there's a lot of trust that goes into that. And my reputation is kind of what made them say, "Okay, here's the key. Here's the code to the alarm. When you know, just when you go out at the end of the night, which was 430 that morning. Um, the next day, lock up, set the security code. This is how trusting they were of me. So they gave you free reign of the place. They're yes. like, "Here's the key. Have at it." Yes. the The only the the only stipulations with the Brentwood is investigating had to be done on Saturday nights because okay. they're they're not open for business on Sundays. So you had to wait until. Everybody got out of the building, say, 11 o'clock that Saturday night, and then you could rock it. Um, what was interesting about that first night is there were many firsts for me. Um, first off, it was Brad Hayes' final investigation with me. Now, okay. Brad became an investigator because he wanted to prove to himself that this stuff existed. And we had done other investigations, Pugans being the most recent. And But it wasn't enough for him. At the end of that night, that very first investigation at the Brentwood, he resigned. Mm-hmm. He told me, why? I, because of what we saw that entire night, the things we witnessed that entire night, the things we, we experienced. He said, I, I got my answer, man. He said, I want to thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I don't need to take this any further. And it's giving me chills that just telling is... you that. I mean... That's extraordinary. I mean, the, the, to give, you know, somebody that came into this looking for this kind of um, validation and then getting it and just saying, all right, I, I'm, I'm good. I've had it. Well, here's the kicker, Rick, is stuff was popping that entire night from I think like one of the first things is uh, Kevin and I are walking into that kitchen area where you see on a haunting the glass gets thrown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, that happened in 2018. That didn't happen in 2007. But we're walking in there, and it sounds, I mean, literally, we jump off the ground. It sounded like somebody had their arms full of pots and pans and just dropped them in front of us. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing clearly there. This is all on video. Right. And so that kind of kicked the night off. And we split up and Brad and Kevin's upstairs and they're right outside that bathroom, the infamous bathroom that locks people in the infamous bathroom where you hear a lady sigh. I'm downstairs and there's a a stagnant camera running and you see Kevin kind of like looking all frantic and he looks at Brad and he goes, did you just say, hey, he goes, no, man, I thought that was you. 
And when you play that video back, you hear, just like that wow. exhale of a breath. And of course they radio mm-hmm. me. I come up, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it was just one thing after another that led to the most, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. So you, you did catch some amazing um, evidence and footage that night. And if there, there, there are two in particular um, that I loved. And one in particular, when my wife saw it, she was like, wow. Now, for my wife, Jamie, to say, wow, at something, it's really good. So let's talk first about the Shadow Man. The mm-hmm. Shadow Man is extraordinary. Yes. And, and there's, there's multiple... Um... I've got multiple pieces of evidence of this from photographs to video that night. I'm at the very top of the steps looking down the stairs at Brad because he's coming up the steps on the show. They show it as you're looking up, right? That is not how it happened. Okay. I walk up the steps. I get to the landing. Brad's mumbling, so he gets my attention. I turn down to turn to the left and look down at him, and I'm like, "What are you saying?" He goes, "Dude, my camera, my camera just died." And I go, "Did you not just change that battery? Because we all just literally met up and put new batteries on." And then my camera dies, and out of the corner of my right eye, I see somebody moving behind the bar, and I jerk my head, and there he was, six foot tall, solid black silhouette of a man. And, of course, some choice words came out, you know, like, holy crap and all this other stuff. And it it took, in reality, it took 45 minutes for my two guys to talk me down. Because I could not believe I had actually seen a full-body apparition in front of me. And then Brad gives further validation to that, that when he was up in that area earlier that night, he could have swore out of the corner of his eye he saw somebody walk behind that bar. And from that point on, if, if for people who have followed me, I started wearing a head cam after that. Mm-hmm. Because if I would have had a head cam on, when I turned to look, it would have actually caught him. And, you know, that's what started prompting all the pictures and all this stuff and capturing him walking at the bottom of the steps, which I think is one of the photographs that they showed. Yeah, actually, it's, it's, a, it's a really great photograph. But you're not the only... Now- this was your first time that you've ever that seen a full That was the very first apparition. night, yeah. It was the very first night. So, But you're not the only person that has seen this. Other, other people who even, you know, guests of the Masons and even employees have seen the Shadow Man as well, correct? Oh, yeah. There, there, there have been employees that started and then working the night shift. Um, that is very true what they said on the show, the way they closed that building down is the Mm -hmm. the breaker box is on the second floor in that bar where most of the time you in that bar at the end of that bar is that bathroom. So that's like the hot spot. And there have been employees that when you flip those breakers and that whole building goes black, that's been the last night they've ever worked. Like they're just out of there, man. You know, Kristen being one of them, (laughs) you know, yeah, it seems like she. It seems as if uh, Kristen Vandergriff, I believe her name is uh, Kristen Vandergriff. Um, she really is the one who has seen the most besides the Masons. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, and, and and there have been just customers, you know, depending on what what time they're getting there for because there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different dining areas in this building, and they're all kind of secluded. They're they're their own rooms. So if mm-hmm. you get set down in one of these rooms by yourself, there have been people that have witnessed glasses fly off the table, silverware fly across the room, particularly spoons for some reason. Uh, th- mm-hmm. That have seen this because patrons getting locked in the bathroom, and sh- and I thought for sure they would have put this part in the show. Chef had to go and get a screwdriver and take this door apart to get the guy out. Wow, you would think that they would put something like that in the show. Yeah, that's pretty dramatic. Yeah, I mean, and so it's like it's hard. I understand from the perspective of the show is you've just got to focus on a couple things and make it work into a story. But there is just so much. And and the documentary on Amazon and YouTube is the closest you're going to get to seeing it all at once. But with that being said, let's take a break, Rick, um, because there's some things I want to touch base on scientifically uh, when we come back. Right. And and, uh, when when we come back, I want to touch on the face in the mirror. Yeah, that oh yeah, was absolutely. an amazing piece of evidence. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. We're going to pay some bills. When we come back, we're going to be talking more of the Brentwood Wine Bistro with the man who lived it all, Stephen Lancaster. We are your hosts, Rick Hale and Stephen Lancaster. Stick around. We'll be right back. Join the hosts on Facebook at facebook.com slash welcome to the initiative. That's facebook.com slash welcome to the initiative. Want to be a guest on Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk? Is there something you would like to hear discussed? Contact the hosts at shadowinitiativetalk at gmail.com. That's shadowinitiativetalk at gmail.com. You are listening to Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk with authors and ghost hunters Stephen Lancaster and Rick Hale. She's alive. Welcome back, my friends, to the Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk with author and ghost hunter, just an all-around great guy, myself. Now, I'm getting Rick Hale, and of course, author and ghost hunter, Stephen Lancaster, who is myself. And we are here tonight talking about the inf- the now infamous and couldn't be more deserving uh, of their, their business. Um, we're talking about the Brentwood Wine Bistro. Kim and Eric Masson, Rick, are... Two of the yeah. nicest people I've ever met in my life. And yeah, they certainly do come off as that. You couldn't ask for better clients with, you know, because usually when you get your clients, they're all either really into it and believing it or they're really against it. And you've got Kim who was like dead set on believing this stuff and wanted it proven. And then you had Eric that was just, no, no, there's got to be some logical explanation, you know. And I love that there was the skeptic and the believer. And then, Enter me and my team, you know, but right. you, you brought up the face in the mirror. Now, why don't you tell people your perspective on that? Okay, so now this was the uh, thing that we saw on the show that made my wife say, wow. Now, Jamie is not easily impressed 
with that with this kind of stuff. In fact, she's very very skeptical. I would almost say even an arch skeptic concerning mm-hmm. the paranormal. Um, she really doesn't have a whole lot of interest in it. But when she saw the face in the mirror, she she said, "Wow." And this face in the mirror, like I, I've always seen it as being very creepy um, faces or something appearing in the mirror that, you know, that you look around and, well, it's not there. So let's talk about the face in the mirror. How who, how did you come across this um, phenomenal piece of evidence? Well, it was nothing like they portrayed on the show. The evidence completely real, but how that was obtained, not so much. And I wish they would have shown the entire picture Um, because the entire picture was taken from the back wall, the complete opposite wall adjacent to that mirror. And there's a Mm -hmm. fireplace and the mirror is about the length of the fireplace. And in the mirror, it was actually an investigation, um, maybe our 15th or 16th time. And it was me and Ryan. You know, from the original Monster Vision TV show, me and Ryan. And I'm over in the bar area and he's in that room and he he gets my attention. He's like, bro, I could have swore I just saw a face come out of that mirror and and kind of recess and go back in. I'm like, what? And, And so I, of course, go over there and we both lift our cameras and start taking pictures. The reason I wish they would have shown the whole picture is because it really put things to scale. You can see mm-hmm. in the bottom right-hand corner our, our headlights, you know, the lamps on our head. Um, you okay. could see us and, and, and the uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? The um, perspective. You know, we looked really small because we're all the way across the room. This face was actual size, like if a human head was being pushed through the mirror. But the mm-hmm. perspective they gave on a haunting, you don't really gather all that. So hopefully now people will get that. And, and the full image is available. Um, you can go to Facebook.com slash TV and actually look at the, the full image. But at I first, saw the picture years ago. I remember you, you showed me the picture years ago. And even back then, I was like, this is the most extraordinary piece of evidence I've ever seen. But let's see what they don't show you in the show is how me and Ryan spent probably 90 minutes trying to prove that it wasn't. You know, we there's whole video that I have online somewhere of that whole scenario and and us coming up and pointing out this is fingerprints. This is grease. This is dust. You know, we're pointing and then comparing it and then showing the mirror after the fact that there's nothing in that corner, you know, and then comparing it to the photo where clearly it's a face, you know, that wasn't um, just matrixing or your mind playing tricks on you. Um, so there was before and after stuff shown live on video so people could see. And I wish they would have kind of showed that. But again, you can only do so much with the time you have. So with these ghosts that are haunting the place, um, who are they? Um, what do they want? And are they dangerous? Well, before we really get deep into that, um, there's a lot of... I don't want to say arguing, <laughs> but there's a lot of different opinions of of who it is. Okay. And truth be told, um, the Masons does they don't want th- there are negative things that happen there. 
There is that darker entity who I believe to be named Frank. Now, I, I say that because EVPs have given us that name. Now, how they portrayed it in the show is Christina heard that live, you know, uh, the name come out of the wind, you know, um, that sure. that was actually on, on an EVP when we were asking questions. Um, and we'll we'll get to that in a minute. But um, Kim has always pushed Essie because there is a female and the female is very benign. We've captured mm-hmm. female voices. The, the sighing is always a female and it makes sense to be Essie. The, well, the, who's Essie? Essie McCorsley was the original owner of the building, the one who, after her husband died, Clarence, had turned it into a bed and breakfast for local fishermen. Okay. Okay. She was very attached to that building. Completely believable that the female is her. The darker entity, just like they said in the show, and me and Kim have kind of argued this, I believe to be an angry, drunken fisherman. That was never allowed to stay in the building. Essie would let him sleep on the porch, but she would never let him in there. And, and that's just my belief that he's the one that's pissed off. And when when the stuff kind of goes that negative route, it's him. However, the point I wanted to get to earlier with with going the more scientific route is I believe the Brentwood Wine Bistro to be a beacon. And the reason I have said this is because I have done a ton of tests, one of which is I use a magnetic pickup. And I don't know if you know what this is, Rick, but it's it's a little device on a wire that when you bring bring it towards something that's magnetic, it, it, it's, it runs to a speaker and you kind of get a feedback kind of sound come out of the speaker. Okay, like, okay. like kind of like a... You know, kind of like that when you're getting mm-hmm. to near something magnetic. Me and Ryan one night stuck this thing to the floor and picked up music. We stuck it to a wooden floor and picked up period music from like the 30s okay. and 40s, the stuff that Essie would have been listening to. Okay. There was one night in particular, me and Kevin are in the attic. And my tape recorder just starts playing on its own. Now, it's on my hip. Okay, so I'm thinking I bumped it. This is a a traditional old school tape recorder. Mm -hmm. And I grab it, and it had said something. And Kevin goes, what did that just say? So we rewound it, played it back, and it sounded like somebody logging data. It said, Wednesday, November 24th, 1974. Like what the f- is yes, and we're like, what is this? You know, so it's like hearing the the phantom music and the interesting, the very interesting Hardy Boys aspect of this. Rick, you'll really get a kick out of. Now, keep in okay. mind, Rick and Kim, or I'm sorry, <laughs> Eric and Kim, same letters almost. Uh, yeah. They owned this building, okay. Well, we're using the magnetic pickup because I'm doing tests on the stairs. The stairs go up, come to a landing, then they go up again to where you finally reach the second floor. Okay? Mm -hmm. We're on that second landing. This was actually me and Alan, and this is on video as well. This has made me want to dig out all these old videos and re-release them because I know people are going to be interested. We took the the magnetic pickup, started making a sound, and the closer we brought it to the wall, the higher pitched 
that frequency came through the speaker. Mm -hmm. So we're documenting all this. Long story short, the wall can move. I'm sorry, the wall can move? Secret passageway, buddy. Oh, no, I really want to go there. Yes. <laughs> That's Eric, like some Scooby-Doo shit right there. Eric and Kim had no idea. Uh-huh. Eric and Kim had no idea when they were sold the house. Nobody knew about it. Nobody knew that there was a room behind this panel. Because mm -hmm. you would never know it. You would never know it looking there. And I'm not, I shouldn't have probably even said where. But it's okay because... Eric went back in and he actually took an electric drill and drilled that panel to where nobody could move it because that, that, yes, because that was a concern. The more that this stuff came out in my books and TV shows, you're going to have these buttheads. Oh, well, let me go up the steps here. Let me try to move this panel. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, unfortunately, you gotta, you gotta cover yourself a little bit, but the period music thing, as you've seen demonstrated, can if if that era music is played, it actually mm -hmm. amplifies the the uh, activity in there. And I I know you've seen some of that footage of it making the dumbwaiter go up and down, playing at a right. James. I love that song. You know, I've actually used that method myself in the past. Um, you know, and, and and that's why historical research is so important, because you can find out, you know, possibly what era a, a ghost comes from and try and contact them using things that they know. And and music is is always been a big one. Well, you know what a lot of people don't know about that footage, because a lot of people have seen the dumbwaiter footage. I, my mm -hmm. ghost story used it um, is there was a special guest there that night. It was an actual reporter. For the North Myrtle Beach Times, who was a total skeptic. Okay, this was two and a half years into the research. I had already released my very first book, which the flagship chapter was on the Brentwood. So it was all mm -hmm. of my research up until that point. And this guy contacted me and he said, Look, I don't believe it. I don't believe any of it. It was this older guy, a little older than you and me at the time. And, uh, I said, well, why don't I take you in there? I said, if you, if you, I'll give you a fair shot, you got to give me one. And he agreed to it. This old man agreed to it. And he went in there that night. And what was very interesting is there was an investigator singing at a James because mm -hmm. I had said, you know, music will make things happen. And the dumb waiter comes on, goes up, goes off. I mean, you, you know the whole drill. You've seen the videos. You can yeah. clearly see the switch on the wall. Nobody even near it to make it do that. And I'm looking at this reporter's face. And he looks at me. And he's like, you know, I actually have that song on my cell phone. He said, it's the ringtone for when my wife calls. Mm -hmm. He said, you, can't, you care if I test something? And I said, no, go right ahead. So he gets out his phone. And he plays the the original Etta James song, and the dumbwaiter and lights start reacting again. Yeah. And this went on, man. We did this for like 90 minutes. I had crew upstairs, and, and we're radioing. Is anybody up there seeing this, hearing this? They're standing up there watching the dumbwaiter show up. You know, we're standing down in the kitchen watching it come back down. It was being documented from both sides. 
was really incredible, man. Yeah, you know, I, I found it interesting that you say that the place is a beacon. It it kind of reminds me of um of an one of one of my more well-known investigations was a private house in Waukegan. I actually detail it in my second book, uh, Behold Shocking True Tales of Terror, and some other spooky stuff. I call it, the chapter it was called The House of 100 Spirits. And um, I believe that this house was a beacon or a portal. And we caught a extraordinary EVP that night where a voice actually says they want us to come in through the window. Really? Yeah. So I do believe that there are places that can be portals or beacons, um, you know, just naturally there and can invite things in. But with this music. So would you say that in this in this building in the Brentwood, you have a mixture of both um, true haunting apparitions and uh, stone tape kind of haunting or as they call, you know, on TV residual haunting? Yeah, I, I do. I think it's a combination of all of that. And you're the only one that knows this. And now everybody's going to know this is for quite well, for almost 15 years, I have been working on a book that is just about the Brentwood. And, you know, the Etta James song that seems to bring out the activity is at last. Mm -hmm. And that, that is the title going to be the title of the book at last, you know, the true story of the haunting of Brentwood wine bistro. And it's going to chronicle the Everything, everything. Whereas in my first two books, the Brentwood, it was chapters, like particular nights, you know, stuff like that. This is going to be be the whole thing. But in this new book, and, and I, I'm uh, going to go ahead and tell people, is my theory, my belief, you know, because everybody loved Essie McCorsley. She was just a wonderful person in the community. Okay. Mm -hmm. So... In her real life, after her husband died, she ran the place as a bed and breakfast. So she catered to people. She gave people a place to stay. Um, it was 50 cents a night. It was $1 if you wanted breakfast in the morning. Okay. So the place was transient. You know what I'm saying? Right. So my theory is she's still running it. So, yeah, I mean, still still running it. So um, these entities, yeah. so because you've heard the stories, sometimes there's children's voices. Um, the Masson's daughter saw a little boy spirit. You can hear her dialogue at the end of the um, documentary because mm -hmm. I wasn't comfortable with putting her on film at her age. I sure. said, well, well, we'll record her voice, you know. So you hear her telling her story of seeing a child. Um, there's been older people that have been seen different kinds of females. And I think Essie is still running it, but for the spirit world, as silly as that sounds. No, I don't think that, that sounds silly at all. But one of the things that I found really interesting when I was watching um, Phantom um, as, as, as well as a haunting and uh, my ghost, uh, the, my, uh, my ghost story segment was that where the restaurant is now is not where it originally was. no, and that, that's a very, very important part of the story, too. It, it was across the street. And after Clarence died, Essie's husband, um, she didn't know what to do, really. And this very well-to-do businesswoman approached her and said, hey, I want the property that this house is sitting on. Because she wanted to open up some kind of oyster business. It, it was something for seafood, something like that. And, um, Essie, and she said, well... 
I I can't leave this house. I don't want to leave this house. She believed that her husband was still there. You know, he built this house for her. You know, so that's kind of hard to just hand off to somebody. Sure. You know what I mean? You're living in the last piece of your husband, your loved one. And she said, what's your intent? Thinking, are you going to use this building? And and she said, no, I'm going to destroy it and rebuild from the ground up. Mm-hmm. So Essie only agreed to sell the property if this woman would pick it up and move it to across, you know, move it across the street. Essie acquired some land across the street and said, I will sell this property to you if you can move this house over there. Now, what I find really interesting is, is like most of the time, whenever they move a house, they just move the house. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot more that was moved. A lot more involved that was moved, correct? Yeah, they moved everything, the foundation and all. And they don't ever do that, brick by brick. I mean, dude, it's everything. So the house literally looks today, with the exception of the Brentwood restaurant sign, you know, um, exactly like it did for Essie. And once it got moved over there, that's when she turned it into her her bed and breakfast for, because this was a, a fisherman town. Sure. I mean, at, at in Essie's day, it was a dirt road, dude. There wasn't even a paved road, you know. So that's a really just a, the history itself. And Essie and Clarence are both buried within walking distance um, of that house, of that restaurant. Now, let me ask you this, you know, because you hear this a lot. And we, we know this as longtime investigators and researchers that doing something like that can stir up. Um, paranormal activity. Mm-hmm. So was there already existing paranormal activity there? And was it stirred up when they moved the house? The the only thing that has ever really been said are from people who knew Essie. And um, I made friends with her great, great grandson, um, Clarence, or not Clarence, uh, Curtis, mm-hmm. Curtis McCorsley, because when I was doing the stuff on the books and later for A&E, I wanted to be very, very respectful for family that still existed and so i tracked down curtis and asked him i said can i get your permission your blessing to do this you know because he may have been against the haunting stuff and the ghost stuff and hey you're gonna be saying my great grandmother's a ghost you know see i i just felt it necessary to check with people you know And, and he gave his total blessing and a lot of what i found out i found out from him he was sending me the old photos, the, these pictures of her operating the bed and breakfast and these children in these old pictures that he has no clue who they were. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was all this information came from him. But in in his mind, he believed that she never wanted that house destroyed because she believed Clarence was still there. Yeah. You know, so if you want to say, yeah, maybe that was paranormal. But every person who has owned that building since at one point it was called grandma's kitchen and at another point in like the early 90s maybe 94 it was the brentwood restaurant by these two guys that owned it everybody who has had that building has all said the same thing it's haunted af (laughs) (laughs) well i mean it certainly seems that way and and, you know and you're you're you can you're so passionate about it like i've known you for years and I know that it's you are. It is one that you're the most passionate about. But let's talk about the masons. Um, let's do that. Let's let's we're running at the twenty mark here. Let's oh, let's right. take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about the masons and, and maybe throw in some funny stories about the Brentwood too. 
um, which because I've got quite a few of them. Okay. And uh, guys, just stick around. You're hearing the truth about the haunting of the Brentwood Wine Bistro with Rick Hale and Stephen Lancaster. We will be right back. Get with the goat and sell your soul at the Cut Your Heart Out design and fashion store. Visit CutYourHeartOut.Threadless.com to discover everything horror, dark, and occult-related when it comes to walking with the shadows in style. Browse her art and find some sinister offerings to fill your home, spirit, and wardrobe. Greeting cards, blankets, clothing, masks, and everything your wicked heart desires. CutYourHeartOut.Threadless.com And be sure to like them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash CutYourHeartOut.Fashion If you are dead on the inside, wear it proudly on the outside. And welcome back to this very special episode of the Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk with your host Stephen Lancaster and myself, Rick Hale. And the reason that makes it so special is, is we've been talking with Stephen um, about his um, extraordinary case with the Brentwood Wine Bistro. You know, Stephen, we talk about how the Masons were, were frightened by uh, by what was going on. And, you know, you you gave them a little bit of peace. And have they learned to peacefully coexist with their ghosts? Yes, absolutely. That that part is true as well. It, it didn't play out like you see um, on the episode of A Haunting. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, that's exactly what was done. Because there, there, there were honestly two sides to me. And the Masons know where I stand on this. Mm-hmm. Is the Brentwood's the Holy Grail to me. And I didn't ever want them to sell it. Because you never know who's going to take it over if they're going to allow the same thing. Sure. I didn't want... Um, which will lead to some funny stories later. I didn't want the wrong people going in there, the wrong type of investigators. Um, so they pretty much just kept it exclusive to me and whoever I felt um, I needed to work with. Right. Uh, you know, but I had told them, I, you know, there's no denying there's, there's a, a darker side occasionally. And um, I told them I'd be very tasteful about it you know, in the books and all that kind of thing. They just don't want to scare away patrons, right. you know, and I, and I told them, I said, I will never lie. I, you know, I, if, if somebody asks me, um, is this true? You know, I'm going to tell them yes, but nobody's ever been hurt. Okay. Nobody's oh, been good. hurt. And, and uh, it, it is true that I told, they're like, well, how do we deal with this? You know, the whole reason, the Brentwood has their state-of-the-art um, surveillance system is because I told Eric to get it. Mm-hmm. I said, you I said you really want to put yourself at ease, get you a surveillance system. Because not everything is going to be a ghost. Right. You know, so, and they have captured things that nobody's ever even seen. That, that's only in my files um, of stuff happening overnight with nobody in that building. Furniture moving. Seeing, uh, like, for instance, um, I just watched a piece of it the other day. Um, uh, one of the dining areas, you know, they've, they've all got table covers. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, one table cover, like like a breeze just kind of whisked past it. Then mm-hmm. the next one, then the next one. As if somebody was running. So You know what I'm saying? So they went in that order. I would love to see that. You Okay, I'll get it to you. And, and cool. 
Shortly after that, a vase comes flying off of the fireplace and shatters in the middle of the floor. Wow. Nobody's in the building. This is in the middle of the night. And, of course, I because he asked me, they've tried to, back then, they tried to pay me for my services because I was spending so much time there. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they tried to, they did give me some gift certificates, you know, to eat there and stuff like that. Um, Eric said, what can I do to help you? And I said, get a surveillance system. Mm-hmm. And as you know, you've seen footage from that surveillance system, yeah. you know, like the bar mat going against gravity and flopping down, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I told him, look. You have accepted the fact that there is something here. Can you coexist with it? You know, that part is true. And I said, just stand your ground. You know, just let them know that you love this place just as much. And I mean it when I said it before and I say it again now. Eric and Kim are the heart of that location. They love the Brentwood. They love it. Which I would think would make would make Essie, if, if it is Essie that is there, I, I imagine that would make Essie very happy. And, and, you know, Chef asked me if I would be there when he did this, when he stood his ground. Mm-hmm. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, what am I going to do? I mean, but if it makes him feel better, you know, sure. You know, sure. so, and he did. He he talked out loud. He kind of felt silly at first. Um, just like he said in the show, uh, going to talk to the ghost. You know, he, he thought it was silly, but he did it. And, it, and then after that. The, the darker stuff, the stuff that was kind of what, what one would uh, deem scary just stopped. Mm-hmm. And now it's all of this benign stuff, you know, and just just enough to let you know that something's there. You know, like aprons getting tugged, you know, just turn around and there's nobody there. Salt shakers flying, you know. Um, people need to understand that that doesn't necessarily mean it's directed at you. Right. You know, it could just be a way of trying to communicate with you, you know? Yeah, you know, I think that you you have these television shows like A Haunting, which paints everything as being, like, dark and spooky and it's out to get you. But really, and I I think I speak for both of us when I say a lot of the times when something like this happens that may seem scary, it's just, you know, them trying to reach out to you and say, hey, I'm here – acknowledge my existence yeah absolutely and i always look out for eric and kim because i'm always being asked by producer of this show hey what do you got and if i feel that the brentwood's a good fit that's what i send them Mm -hmm. and the whole reason i agreed to do a haunting with norman the doll and the whole reason i agreed to do a haunting with the brentwood is because they agreed to my terms And my terms were, if you were going to do this, you were going to show the actual evidence. Mm -hmm. Don't portray it. Don't recreate it. Show it. And and if you look through all the haunting episodes, there's very few that do that. (laughs) You know, it's it's all just recreation. You know, these these two episodes with you, Norman and the Brentwood, that is the first time that I've watched that show in probably 15 years because i just got so sick and tired of the whole everything is a demon and everything Mm -hmm. is out to get you i just got sick of that well i had actually seen recently on the travel channel's facebook page 
people kind of saying what we're talking about because they were announcing the new season. And, you know, one guy's like, I just can't get into these shows because, you know, you guys don't ever show any actual evidence. And then <laughs> somebody chimes in and says, oh, some of them they do. You need to watch the one about the doll, you know, and now now people are going to see you need to watch the one about the Brentwood, you know, because that was look, if you're going to do this, I want you to show exactly what happened. Right. You know, and it's given I, it's given a haunting an edge a little bit. It's mm-hmm. changed their I forced them to change their format, at least with me. Well, I think that I think you'll find that if there were more television shows like that with, uh, you know, guys like you or I, and I'm not just saying, you know, us, I'm talking about there's obviously other people out there. They, they want to show the truth and they want to show that it's not as scary as, you know, they may think one of one of my greatest heroes in this um, and who, uh, whom I respect was Dr. Hans Holzer and Dr. Mm-hmm. Hans Holzer once said and I'm paraphrasing it, but he, he was never afraid of a ghost because, as he said, it is just a human being in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I think that they would I think that people out there would really like to see that kind of thing rather than like, you know, everything is out to kill you and possess you and turn you into its own personal handbook. Yeah, right. And, and, and that's the thing, you know. Like I said, I'm constantly, constantly looking out for for Chef and Kim, and they get approached a lot. I imagine a lot by paranormal investigators, and they just won't let them do it. They just mm-hmm. won't let them do. It. I mean, that's a lot of trust to put in people off the street, you know. And well, you've earned that trust. They, they've uh, they they've been approached by TV shows, and you know, Chef will call me or Kim will send me an email. Hey, have you heard of this producer or this guy? Or, you know, what do you think? Should we do this? And a perfect example is um, Jack Osborne. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Osborne contacted the Brentwood and wanted to do a segment, uh, Fright Club. The show is called Fright Club. Mm-hmm. And I asked Eric, I said, well, what exactly is Fright Club? I had never heard of it. I knew who Jack Osborne was. I mean, come on. Is anybody taking him seriously as a paranormal investigator? You know what I'm saying? I mean, not not, not since he, uh, you know, kicked the wall on his one show with Katrina Weidman. And, uh, oh, my God, what is this? It's like, you do, you kick the wall. They caught you doing it. But I, but I come to find out that the show Fright Club is not an investigative show. It's him sitting in kind of like a living room with the ghost brothers mm-hmm. uh, another set of really credible paranormal investigators and all they do is watch them on a big screen clips that each one of them has chosen to try to freak the other one out and that this is the, boring this yeah. is the concept of the show okay. and they had contacted the masons wanting to show one of those overnight night vision captures Mm-hmm. Of something happening in the restaurant when nobody was there. And I said, Well, where do you guys play in this? And they said, Oh, we'll just be on a Zoom meeting and they record uh, Jack asking us questions about it. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I said, So you're not actually going to be in a studio or anything? And they said, No. And literally that episode, Jack's. Kind of talks up the clip, and then there comes Kim and Eric on a Zoom meeting, and they introduce the clip, 
explain what happened, and that was it. And I thought, I said, that'd be perfectly fine because nothing's going to be misconstrued. You're in control of telling people what that clip is. Right. You know, and they've had a lot of offers on my evidence. Like, hey, is it okay if we let this show use this or this show use that? And, and, and I respect that and I love that. You know, that they're, and then again, that goes back to what I said at the beginning of the show. They're not jumping at every opportunity just to get the name out there. Because they've had some high profile people, you know, especially one in particular that you and I really don't care uh, care for, try Mm -hmm. to film an episode in there and they would not allow it. Oh, good for them. But, you know, I, I, to, to kind of like, you know, end this portion of this. How how has this helped their business? Has it hurt it at all? What's it done for their benefit? Well, Kim embraced it from the beginning. Um, she started a, a flyer and asked me if I would come over on the weekends because I only lived five minutes from it at that time. Mm-hmm. And what what started that was Chef calls me one night and he goes, "Hey, uh, Stephen, we've got got some guests here that are asking about the ghosts." Uh, can you come over? I was like, I was just sitting at the house with my daughter. I said, yeah, I'll be right over. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling these people some stories of, of me investigating it. And then next thing I know, there's a whole crowd of patrons. And then Chef and Kim asked me if I'd start doing ghost tours there. And I did a couple of them, but it really wasn't my thing. Like, I, it just got boring to me because I'm repeating the same stuff over and over again. Sure. And I did um, two book signings there that were really cool because the book featured the Brentwood. Uh, but after that, it was just like Kim embraced it. Chef, he was worried. He's he's like, you know, is this going to scare people away? And I, I was honest with him. I said, dude, for every one person that you lose because of the ghost or ghosts, you gain 10 more. Sure. And, and and that was the truth. After um, Phantom dropped, uh, I'm not going to talk specifics because it's nobody's business. But Chef got a hold of me and could not. I could not believe how much revenue that was brought to that store or restaurant um, just from that documentary. He said he had people flying in from California, Florida, Connecticut, Maine. All from seeing that documentary, and they wanted to come and eat at the Brentwood. So it it upped their business, which I am so happy happy about. Nice. It keeps them there, and that's what I want. So let's you know what, and and my God, I almost forgot um, the sign at the uh, at the door. Um, I think that they, that this is probably a very sweet and funny story about the sighing that the Masoons heard and other people have heard. What, what is this sighing at the door? Why do you think this is a funny story? Because I, I just think it's, I think it's funny the reason why she's sighing or why, why, why they think it's Essie and why she's sighing. Well, you, you tell me what you think, you know. Well, from what I've seen on the, the, the show and I think it was also in Phantom that they believe that the, that the person sighing at the door is Essie because she's trying to get people out of the bathroom. And I thought that that was funny. I thought that was hilarious. So somebody's in there taking a poop or whatever. And she's just like, (sighs) right. That was very funny. Her own family had told me her great grandson told me that she was a very, very impatient person. 
Mm-hmm. So you could literally see her standing outside that door. <sighs> Come on. You know, because we've all been there. When you got to go, you got to go. Sure. <laughs> and if somebody's <laughs> in there, you know, just nowadays on their cell phone playing Candy Crush, like I'd be that guy in there. Oh, just mm-hmm. give me a minute. And SCB outside all pissed off. Now, since you asked that question, the people getting trapped inside, I don't think um, was purposely done. Okay. And I've got to give credit where credit's due. Um, my former head investigator, best friend, brother in arms, Alan Bess, actually debunked that. And oh. I ki- I kicked myself. Wait, debunked the side? No, 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 no. De- oh. Debunked people getting trapped in the bathroom. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Now, the, the building is all original. It has those old, heavy, wooden doors. Mm-hmm. And patrons trapped in bathrooms, investigators trapped in the bathroom. Um, you know, Christina was never trapped in the bathroom. We 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 saw that on the episode. We're like, where the hell did this come from? Yeah, that was one of the things they got wrong. Yeah, Stephen, help me. Stephen, help me. I'm gonna kick the door down. Yeah, that never happened. <laughs> and I, I was looking at Christina. Come like, on, yes. haunting. I was like, yeah, I'm badass. Look at that mafia guy kicking the door down. But. <laughs> Anyways, what it was, and, and I, I actually have this on film somewhere. Um, you know, we investigated all all year long, every year, different times of the year, different temperatures. Mm-hmm. So what it was, okay, in the summer season, it's very humid in the Myrtle Beach area. What happens to wood when there's high levels of humidity? Same thing that happens in my 100-year-old farmhouse. It expands. Right. Well, that would happen. And we, we, and Alan started breaking it down that all of these documented cases of somebody being locked in the the bathroom happened over the summer. Yeah. In the winter, in the winter months, the wood constricts. So the door was fluid. Mm-hmm. So it was natural if you're thinking ghosts to think, oh, they're holding the door shut. But that wasn't the case at all. Alan debunked that and he said this is just this just has to do with the humidity in the air. Yeah. So that yeah. that you know, so there well, again, there again, if we wouldn't have been investigating that location the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times that we have, we would have never figured that out. And it would still to this day be believed that a ghost is keeping somebody locked in the bathroom. Well, it's just like with a, with a, with a lot of, of homes, like in our house, occasionally we'll catch the whiff of what smells like cigarettes. Now, yeah. I don't smoke. My wife doesn't smoke. Obviously, our 11-year-old son doesn't smoke. But we'll catch that. And we catch that, again, during the warmer months. So, it, you know, the walls are getting humid in here, even though we have the air on. And it releases the smell because, obviously, the people who live here before us probably smoked yeah so that you get you get all that kind of stuff and, and that's what's great i don't like using the word debunk um but i do like using the word disproving mm-hmm. so that is definitely what you're able to do is due to whether you can you can disprove much yes and again not everything that ha- now, you know it's always in somebody's head and when something weird happens in the brentwood it's the ghost not every time Mm-hmm. Not every time, but it took over a decade to figure all that out. Like what actually was, what actually is, and what wasn't. 
Yeah. So with that being said, Rick, let's take a break. We'll come back to some funny stories about the haunting of Brentwood, and then we're going to hit up Ghost Watch. All right. Sounds good. One I haven't heard yet. I can't wait to fly into this one. <laughs> See what I did there? Wah, wah. Dead joke. Right, uh, stick around. Check out this commercial that is going to really make you want to buy me and Rick's books. So we'll be right back. Do you enjoy reading about the paranormal? Check out the highly rated literary works from us, the hosts of Shadow Initiative TV. Paranormal investigator Rick Hale offers you the Geek's Guide to the Strange and Unusual, Poltergeist, Ghosts, and Demons, Bullets, Booze, and Babes, The Haunted History of Chicago and Illinois, and behold, shocking true tales of terror, and some other spooky stuff. But if you're thirsty for more, I bring you true case files of a paranormal investigator and dark spirits, a man terrorized by the supernatural. But if you want to go even further, dive deep into the dark reality of haunted dolls. Check out my paranormal bestsellers, Norman, the doll that needed to be locked away, and Norman 2, the true story of a possessed doll's revenge. Available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever fine books are sold. You are listening to Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk with authors and ghost hunters Stephen Lancaster and Rick Hale. Welcome back to, like you know, like I said before, a very special episode of the Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk. We're talking with uh, Stephen Lancaster, who ostensibly is also a host of this show, and uh, he's talking about the Brentwood Wine Bistro. So we've we, we've talked through it all. We've talked through the shows. We've talked through the evidence. We've talked through the ghosts. Now you have some funny stories to tell. Yes, <laughs> and you know it. It, it's kind of funny because not not every time all these things go go off without a hitch. Sure. Uh, first, the first story I'm going to tell you is uh, it was the year anniversary of the first time I investigated the Brentwood, and which would have been 2008. And mm-hmm. Ryan, old school Monster Vision Ryan Lick, had been biting at the bit to go into the Brentwood. He had yet to do it. It's just, you know, his scheduling, he had taken on a medical coding job and it was hard to to um, work that out. So mm-hmm. I said, hey, you know, this coming weekend is the anniversary. I've already cleared it with the Masons. I'm going to go in there on a year anniversary by myself, which I've done plenty of times there. And uh, you, you think you can come? You think you can make it? He said, oh, bro, I'd love to. He said, yeah, I'm clear. So it's just me and Ryan that night. Uh, which happened to be the night we captured the face in the mirror. Okay. Uh, okay. So we're upstairs. Everybody's gone except Chef Eric. And Chef's like, okay, Stephen, uh, you know what to do. You know the code, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I do a horrible French accent. I'm sorry, Eric, if you're listening to this. Yes, um, you do. He's like, <laughs> he, he, I'm just trying to be in character for the listeners, Rick. So. <laughs> He's like, uh, just just lock up, uh, you know, report in the morning what, what you found, blah, blah, blah. So he leaves, and we hear him go out the back door. So <laughs> Ryan and I are still on the second floor in that bar area in the hot spot where everybody sees the shadow man. Well, 
we decide, well, let's start downstairs and we'll do a full sweep of the place, get our baseline reads on everything, see if anything's changed, compare the data, blah, 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 to previous nights. Mm-hmm. And I'm leading the way. As soon as I take a step to go down the stairs, dude, I came three foot off of the floor. My heart about jumped out of my chest. Really? The alarm for the <laughs> building went off. Yeah, that, 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 that can be very, very frightening when that happens, I know. Okay, and I've got this on video, too. And apparently the, the uh, motion sensors at that time were just for the first floor. Because who's really going to do some kind of high-tech robbery of the Brentwood and be, you know, using grappling hooks and stuff and coming in through the, the second floor? You know what I mean? So it's sure. all it all starts at the top of the steps. So I jump. I grab my chest. And Ryan looks at me like, oh, my God, dude, the alarms are going off. We don't know what to do. Okay, the phone's ringing. The, the house line's ringing downstairs. We run down the steps. I answer the phone. And it's the security people wanting the special password <laughs> that you have oh. to, yes, that you have to give them. And uh-huh. I'm trying to explain to this lady who I am. And you know what? She really didn't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so pound, 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 pound at the door. Lights looking in. Oh, yeah. It's the cops. <laughs> Me and Ryan standing there in all black. Black gloves on. I mean, I mean, we're looking like your stereotypical movie, you know, burglars. Yeah, <laughs> right? cat burglars. Okay, we've got <laughs> equipment. And so I open the door. And, and, of course, the cops have got their hand on their guns, you know, because mm-hmm. I go to the door with my hands up. And I'm, like, reaching down to open the door. I let them in. I'm trying to explain to the cop. Dude, we were paranormal investigators does your phone get on the internet? <laughs> so you can go to the website right now, right? About that time, we, we hear, and it's Chef Eric whipping into the parking lot. He comes running up. Oh, I'm so sorry. He's like, it was force of habit. I always set the alarm before I leave. So he, uh. <laughs> he, he set the alarm and he said he got halfway down the road and realized it. So he was already on his way back. Trying to mm-hmm. beat us before we started down those steps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's explaining it to the cops. He gives them the code, you know, all that stuff. So yeah. Well, that wait was a second. Funny. I guess that that's funny. But the obvious question here is: Have the ghosts ever set off the alarm? No, but they have called the place, mm-hmm. and they've set off um, clock alarms in there. Okay. Like actual like alarm clocks that will go off at like one in the morning and you grab these alarm clocks and there's no alarm set. The phone would ring at one o'clock in the morning or three thirty in the morning and answer it. And it says the call's coming from in the building on the caller ID. Well, that's kind of uh, melodramatic, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) We got that on video, too. That's cool, man. So is there anything else? Uh, you know, obviously you're not a regular guest, so I can't, you know, do the whole, uh, um, you know, spiel that we usually do with shameless self-promotion. But is there anything else that, you know, people need to know about uh, the Brentwood Wine Bistro and the Masones? Well, again, I don't want it to sound like a um, an advertisement for them. But, it, it, you know, if you can support them, you want good food, a nice romantic atmosphere, and you're in the Myrtle Beach area, definitely check it out. 
if you're into the ghost stories and all that, just be respectful. You know, be respectful that first and foremost, Chef and Kim have to run a business. Um, if they've got time to talk to you about it, um, just respect that. And just to finish this up with a a, a quick funny story, um, if you go there with the intent to provoke anything, you will be thrown out. Good. You, you will be thrown out. I saw this happen. This is funny story number two. It's real quick. Um, I had an investigator beg the crap out of me, and Rick, you know who it is, mm. beg the crap out of me to investigate that place. And this little kid thinks he's Zach Baggins Jr. Okay, I know exactly who you're speaking of. Yeah. So I take him in there because I had set up an investigation where Kim wanted to stay. Kim wanted to investigate one night. Yeah, Kim wanted to investigate one night and see if we'd get anything different. We would experiment with having one of the owners there. So I brought this guy along. Immediately, he starts with his tough guy bit. Come on, mother effort, come out. Well, you scared, blah, blah. And before I could even get anything out of my mouth, Kim's, Kim stands up and says, you will not do that in here. We are at peace with what is happening here, you will not be provoking anything. She goes, I'm sorry, Stephen. He's got to leave. I said, dude, you heard the lady. Uh, you got to go. I'm sorry, man, but you cannot act like that. You've got to respect what the clients want, and they do not want that kind of – they don't want it. Right. So take your little Zach Baggins routine and head on back down south. <laughs> Almost slipped up and said where he was from. But <laughs> anyways, that was funny to me because – I was literally opening my mouth and Kim just stood up. No, no provoking of any kind. That Good was for a, her. Yeah. Good for her. So with that being said, Rick, people can go to the Brentwoodrestaurant.com. They can look them up on Facebook if they want to get the most out of their time. Just watch Phantom and you'll kind of see everything from 2007 to 2018 in a nice hour long documentary. It's on it's Amazon so well Prime. Done. It's on Amazon Prime, but you can watch it for free on YouTube. So with that being said, Rick, yes, let's take, a, let's take a flight around the world, man. Let's 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 rock some Ghost Watch. Take a flight across the Atlantic. Um, when a person thinks of a place haunted by the souls of the dead, a couple places immediately come to mind. They may think of a long-forgotten cemetery slowly being reclaimed by nature, or perhaps. An ancient castle with crumbling walls that may have recorded the tragic events that haunts it. One would hardly expect a busy international airport to be inhabited by frightening phantoms and unnerving ghosts. Nevertheless, Manchester Airport appears to be just that and may just be the most haunted airport in the world. Long before Manchester Airport became the bustling hub of international travel it is today, it was officially opened on 25th of June, 1938, and was named Ringway after a small village that lies nearby. With war breaking out across Europe and England being engulfed in World War II, Ringway was used as a RAF airbase to defend Northwest England from Nazi bombing raids. When the war was over, Ringway was converted into the international airport it is today. From its very first day of operation, there were several reports from both travelers and employees coming into contact with supernatural entities and unexplained phenomena. 
And one of those entities may be a throwback to its wartime days. Since the 1970s, travelers and airport staff have reported coming face-to-face with the phantom of a man wearing an RAF flight suit in Terminal 3. He had been reported wandering around the terminal looking somewhat confused, almost as if something horrible happened to him. When people tried to approach him, he looks at them with a look of pain and then simply vanishes. A couple explanations have been offered as to what may have happened to him. It's believed he was either shot down while engaging the enemy in airborne combat, while others believe he may have died as a result of a tragic accident. Whatever the case may be, no one has ever been able to ascertain who he was in life. In 1971, an airport management received a curious letter from a former employee who unexpectedly resigned without explanation. According to the former employee, he was scared away from his job after witnessing the apparition of an elderly man in an airport security uniform. He wrote that when he tried to talk to the man, he just disappeared before his eyes. He was so frightened, he left without explanation. Since then, several other people have reported catching a glimpse of the ghostly night watchman. It's believed he was a security guard in the 1960s who died of a heart attack while on his shift. The semi-transparent ghost of an airline pilot has been known to cause trouble in the men's bathroom near the international terminals. The pilot has been known to follow men into the bathroom and pound on the door of the stall, demanding the occupant hurry up. When the angry occupant throws open the door to give the man a piece of his mind, he realizes he was alone with no sign of another person, living or otherwise. The ghosts of Manchester Airport are not limited to the terminals and corridors of the airport. There have been a sightings of a handful of reports, a procession of Roman soldiers in full battle gear marching near the landing strips. The figures appear to be so real, a couple planes were not allowed to land or take off until it was determined the figures weren't real. Manchester Airport may not be as busy as London's Heathrow Airport. However, it has something that Heathrow doesn't. Ghosts. I'm Rick Hale, and this was Ghostwatch. Now, that's interesting. As there, one question comes to mind, has, there, has anything happened, like, recently? Like, I mean, because now, you know, airport security now, there's cameras everywhere, and, I mean, is there anything, like... Like, has anybody ever caught anything on fi- or, or film, yeah, on surveillance or anything? As far as I know, no. This is basically just um, um, eyewitness testimony. And, I, you know, I've actually spoken to people that live near the airport. And they, they, they tell me that, yeah, there's stuff that happens all the time there. People are seeing these Roman soldiers marching around um, uh, near, near, near the landing strips. Uh, people are seeing these just mysterious figures appear and reappear. And there's one thing that really interests me about this is I, well, one of the things that I find very interesting is um, infrasound. And infrasound is a um, low decibel noise that comes in just underneath human um, hearing, but it still affects us in some very very real psychological and physiological ways. Um, so it really, you know, makes me wonder, 
is the infrasound that's caused by the planes taking on and taking off, is it causing and amplifying this uh, paranormal activity? Or is it causing people to have things like, um, you know, uh, feelings of paranoia, like something is watching you? Another thing that infrasound is known to do is it makes people's eyes wobble. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, people actually hallucinate seeing dark shadows or dark figures out of the corners of their eyes. Mm-hmm. So it, it really makes you wonder. It's like, is, some, is this infrasound amplifying the paranormal activity or is it causing people to think they're experiencing paranormal activity? That's a that's a, a really good point, Rick, because you figure an airport, there's a lot of electromagnetic fields getting pumped out of an airport. You know, a lot yeah, of exactly frequencies going through the air more so today than ever. Right. You know, so that's that's a I'm kind of glad you 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 offered up a um, alternative to it just being. Yeah, it's haunted because that's that's a good possibility, man. Yeah, I mean, it's in, and, and I think that that can pretty much, um, you know, be with anywhere. I think I think that we know that even in homes, people can be affected by infrasound uh Mm -hmm. people can be affected by um spikes uh, you know in the in emf and even people can be affected by low levels of carbon monoxide seeping in their house and uh yeah so it's like you always have to excuse me you always have to offer that alternative i well as always rick that was a fantastically curiously interesting ghost watch thank you steven so rick you know before we wrap this shenanigan up uh you got an investigation coming up don't you yeah january 22nd i'm going to be investigating miss peddler's boutique in antioch illinois with um u.s paranormal research a new group that i you know have joined up with and uh you know really looking forward to this they they do a lot of um the people at miss peddler's it's not one of those that's really known to be haunted, but the people that work there and the people that do shop there do claim to see, you know, shadow figures and hear things um, or see things falling or moving. Uh, apparently, from what I understand, that the basement alone is going to be a place where I'm going to want to spend a lot of time in because that's where they're getting most of their activity. Oh, man, I, I'm, I'm excited. I, I can't wait. That's a Friday. So, ladies and gentlemen. That means that Sunday. That's Sunday. I'm gonna be drilling Rick. Wait a minute. That, is, that, is, that does that doesn't that, sound that, right. I, you yeah. know. Anyway, I, yeah, you're gonna. How about how about grilling? How about grilling? That? Yeah, there I'm gonna be interrogating Rick on this investigation because this is this is your uh you're off hiatus now, man. How long's it been? Six years. And the last place that I um, invested before I got sick and uh, lost my leg was the place that I was working with or at at the time. And that was the Allendale Association. Um, I, I do believe that there is activity there and, and, and why shouldn't there be? It's a place of, you know, high emotion and high drama that happens there. So uh, yeah, it's been, it's been six long years and people wonder, it's like, well, what took you so long? It's like, oh, I don't know, going through cancer and losing a leg will kind of do that to you. <laughs> Yeah, that might slow you down a little bit, buddy. Yeah, it did, but it did not stop me. Correct. I was actually just listening to our episode um, 
the other day that, that we did on being disabled and being a paranormal investigator. That was a good show. Yeah. That was a good show. Um, I, I really enjoyed doing that one. And um, yeah, so it's, you know, as, as, as we said on that episode, just because you're disabled, no matter what it may be, you may be an amputee, you may be in a wheelchair, you may be hearing impaired, you may be sight impaired. This is concerns all of us, no matter who you are, what your disability or how differently abled you are. Get out there and explore for yourself. I agree. Well, with that being said, Rick, it was another fantastic show. We put a lot, a, more, show. a lot more information out there on the Brentwood Wine Bistro, a.k.a. the Brentwood Restaurant. Again, check out Phantom, the Haunting of Brentwood Wine Bistro, free on YouTube or if you got Amazon Prime, watch it there. But um, with that being said, you guys can uh, hang out with us at Facebook.com slash Welcome to the Initiative. If you'd like to hear a specific guest or have a story you would like to share, Shadow Initiative Talk at gmail.com. So we got we got some guests coming up or something soon, don't we? <laughs> um, next week, you know, there there is there is a guy that I'm going to be talking to today and see if he's available next week. And, um, you know, we, we always, you know, kind of announce what we got going on a couple of days before the show. So hopefully I can get him. And you will hear that announcement at facebook.com slash welcome to the initiative. Come interact with us, guys. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. If you've got questions and we don't have the answers, we will pretend to. <laughs> with that being said, guys, you have a great week. Happy New Year. Let's Happy make New 20, Year. Yeah, let's make 2022 a great year. Everybody stay safe out there. You're with Rick and Steven, and we will see you all. Or, well, we won't see you, but. We'll be talking at you in a week. Take Next care. week. All right. Thanks, everyone. Join the hosts on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Welcome to the Initiative. That's Facebook.com slash Welcome to the Initiative. Want to be a guest on Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk? Is there something you would like to hear discussed? Contact the hosts at Shadow Initiative Talk at gmail.com.